This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks on KQV with expert advice from CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert Jim Lang, best-selling author of Retire Secure and the Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once, Then Never Again. Now on air and worldwide, paytaxeslater.com. Now get ready to talk smart money. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. I'm David Baer, here in the KQV studio with Jim Lang, CPA, attorney, and author of three best-selling books, Retire Secure, The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again, and Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. In the wake of recent elections, what is the status of the looming debt on the stretch IRA? How might this significant potential new law impact your family? And what might the new Congress have on your future tax bills? What pitfalls await investors for new legislation that's already passed? For example, just last week, Congress announced that rollovers will only be allowed once a year, which will impact anyone with multiple IRAs. For insights on these and other taxing issues, we welcome America's IRA expert, Ed Slott, back to the show. Named the best source for IRA advice by the Wall Street Journal, Ed hosts the popular website IRAHelp.com. He's authored numerous books, including Ed Slot's Retirement Decisions Guide and Fund Your Future. Ed also writes personal finance columns for several publications and presents professional education IRA seminars across the country. His Retirement Rescue TV specials run on PBS stations across the country, including WQED here in Pittsburgh. So stay tuned for an interesting and informative hour. And then with that, I'll say hello, Jim, and welcome, Ed. Welcome, Ed. Hi, Jim. Great to be back on your show. Thanks. Well, thanks for coming. You know, sometimes it's difficult to determine who the true top person is in any field. That said, in the IRA field, looking for the true expert, the number one guy, The guy who has sold more books, trains more advisors, is the busiest speaker and educator that commands the highest fees in the IRA and retirement plan field. That is Ed Salat. Ed has two books that I'd highly recommend to consumers. Uh, The most recent is Ed Salat's 2014 Decision Guide. That's 2014 Retirement Decisions Guide, 125 Ways to Save and Stretch Your Wealth. Um... But my favorite, and I guess it's your classic, Ed, is the Retirement Savings Time Bomb and How to Diffuse It, a five-step action program to protect your IRAs. So anyway, we are really fortunate to have Ed on our show. And I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about um, the proposed IRA law that would, in effect, kill the stretch IRA, and perhaps you could describe to our listeners what the stretch IRA is now and how that law might uh, impact the stretch IRA. Well, great, Jim. When you die with an IRA, you know, when Congress first created the IRA, it was created because people had no pensions. Companies were defaulting on their pensions. Actually, the IRA is about to turn 40 years old. Technically, it's already 40 years old, but The first time you could make a contribution was in 1975, January. So in January, it'll be 40 years old. And when people ask, where did IRAs come from? Do you ever wonder about that, Jim? (laughs) I actually have. 
All right, they came from a car, a Studebaker, hmm. actually. The Studebaker plant in 1963 promised all these pensions. They went broke. People didn't get their pensions, people who worked their whole life there. And Congress heard about it and said, this is a disaster. This was in 1963. So they said, we have to do something about this immediately. So over 10 years later, <laughs> I <laughs> guess that's Congress. immediate in congressional talk. You know, it's the same thing now. That was 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, they created ERISA, E-R-I-S-A, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And that was one of the first. Here's a, just a little backstory history for you and all the listeners. That was the one of the first acts signed into law by then new president Gerald Ford, who just took office after Nixon resigned. It was signed into law actually on Labor Day. He took office in August, but on Labor Day he signed it into law, and that created individual retirement accounts so people could take their retirement accounts, say, from a company plan, and have something. IRAs were created because people had nothing. The, the companies broke their pension promises. So when the IRA was created, it was created because Congress was worried that people have to have something to retire on, especially when they were promised all this. Well, 40 years later, people got the message, and many people contributed and built up nice retirement accounts, sometimes in 401ks, but then they rolled over to IRAs. And Congress never intended IRAs to outlive you. They never even considered it pretty much in the law. They figured, you know, we'd be happy if these IRAs, you know, help people get through retirement. Never thinking about it as an estate planning vehicle. By that I mean having so much left over, it could actually benefit the next generation, the children. So that brought the concept of what you mentioned, the stretch IRA. And that happens when somebody dies with an IRA and there's leftover. And if the beneficiary does things just exactly right, they can stretch or extend distributions. In other words, extending the tax deferral over the rest of their lives. So a 40-year-old might go out 40 years. A one-year-old, if he did everything right, could go out about 80 years. Just taking minimum distributions for the rest of their lives. Well, this is not what Congress ever intended. As I said, it was intended to help people for retirement, not to pass on to the next generation. So every time the government needs money and wants to create revenue, they hit this provision known as the stretch IRA, and they say, you know what, this whole business of beneficiaries, this law was never intended. IRAs were never intended for beneficiaries. It was intended for the people who saved and worked for their retirement, not to pass on to kids. So we're going to say, the heck with this lifetime stretch IRA. From now on, and everything I'm saying, if you just tuned in, is a proposal. And I don't even know what bill it's in anymore because it's been in so many bills that never got passed. It's a proposal to limit it to five years after death. Now, that's something. I'm in the Yogi Berra camp. You ever hear of Yogi Berra? Yeah, sure. You know, he was the, uh, I believe, he was the outfielder. Now, this is, I'm trying to relate to the Pittsburgh lore here. I believe he was the outfielder in left field, in Forbes Field, right, when Mazeroski. Bill Mazeroski yep. hit that home run, which to this day, 
is still the only seventh game walk-off World Series winning home run. So Bill uh, and Yogi Bear was usually a catcher, but I believe that day yep. he was in left field. And last time I was in Pittsburgh, I actually visited the little chunk of uh, field they have there. You're, you're, anyway, hit, you're making a hit with the Pittsburgh fans. Yeah, Ed. you got your Pittsburgh <laughs> props down right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Yogi Berra had this great saying. He had a lot of really funny sayings, but one always hit me when you talk about proposals or things that might happen. He said, I never make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> That's like yep. one of his other sayings. He says, you know, the place is so crowded, nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> they go <laughs> so on and on. I don't on. like to make predictions, especially about the future. But, and that's why I don't usually like to talk about proposal. But this is something I think that if a bill ever gets passed, this could easily be tacked on and the stretch IRA could be eliminated. Why? First of all, nobody even knows it exists for the most part. I mean, there wouldn't be any angry voter outrage. Not only that, the only people that would be outraged are beneficiaries. And there's not really a big beneficiaries lobby. You know, I can't see them standing outside the Capitol with Save the Stretch IRAs, help beneficiaries. Could you see that? First of all, that would be like work. And the beneficiaries (laughs) don't like work. So there's not really a strong lobby against it. So I could easily see this happening, but I could also see it backfiring on the government as well. So, yes, I think the days of the stretch IRA are numbered, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, actually, uh, we had some correspondence, if you remember, and this is private, so not not public. And I'm going to quote you to you. Um, Eliminating the stretch IRA will wake people up to do the planning they probably should have been doing all along. So that seems to indicate that whether they have whether they change the law or whether they don't, there's some particular planning that you're going to encourage. And I was hoping that you could tell our readers what or and listeners uh, what planning you had in mind. Yeah, that's right. People are coasting by. There are great opportunities in the tax code. Some people know about the stretch IRA, and the government thinks they're going to get all this money. I I forget what the uh, estimate was, billions in revenue, which will never happen. I don't even know where they got that number. First of all, the truth is, as you well know, unless somebody has a good advisor, most beneficiaries don't even make it the five years. That's true. Most of them have the money spent on the way to the funeral before the body's cold, really. So the whole thing that, uh, you know, they're going to get this money up front. But anyway, it will cause people like you and I to talk about it, like we're talking about it now, and cause people, like I said, wake people up to do even better planning. So the government's going to lose all this money, not gain money, because the first thing I would tell people, older people, who I, in the past or now, I'm still encouraging to do Roth conversions, because I believe, like you, that tax-free is always better, especially when you're pulling it out, to pay once and never again. I'm a big believer of that, as you know. But I would tell older people, say 70 or older, don't even bother doing Roth conversion anymore, because why would I pay? The benefit of the, the Roth conversion is the, the longevity, the long tax deferral. Why would I pay tax now if five years after death, my kids have to cash it in so the government would lose that revenue then tell people 
the heck with this stretch IRA. I've got a better solution for you. Take the money down now at low tax rates. The government will think they're making all this money because their budget projections are only current for two years or so. Just like with the Roth IRA, they'll think they make all this money, pay pay the tax at low bargain basement rates, and leverage that money uh, into life insurance. And again, in case people don't know, I don't sell life insurance, I don't sell stocks, funds, insurance, annuities, none of that. I'm a tax advisor. But as a tax advisor, life the tax exemption for life insurance is the single biggest benefit in the tax code. So what's going to happen, it's going to encourage, you know, it's like the if they eliminate this and it gets some play, some press, it's going to wake the sleeping giant and force people or trigger people into doing even better planning. So instead of gov- the government getting a tax on millions in IRAs over time, they might get some tax up front, but when the smoke clears, the beneficiaries will turn, say, a 300000 IRA. Actually, the parents will, who have the IRA. They'll take it down, if they don't need the money, of course. Uh, they'll take it down after tax, maybe have 200000 which, you know, depending on health and age, could buy a million or more of life insurance. So now the kids will have more and more of it tax-free. They don't have to worry about all these stretch IRA rules. And if you need a trust for the children, like some large IRA owners want, because they don't, they want post-death control, they don't want the kids squandering it, or a divorce, or creditor issues, or maybe have a minor beneficiary reasons you might need to name a trust. Life insurance is a much more trust-friendly asset than an IRA. It's much easier to leave life insurance in a protective trust than an IRA. So people are going to end up with much better planning. They'll have more money for the beneficiaries, more of it tax-free, and the government, once again, will be the big loser because they try to stop something that they, they think is this big benefit, which it is if you use it right, but most people don't. And, and for whatever it's worth, I've run some numbers and showed that, depending on your assumptions, that the family can literally be a million dollars better off right. by doing and your tax-free. exact strategy that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, you know, at this point, let's just take a quick break, pay some bills. This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring expert advice from CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert, Jim Lang. More coming up right here on KQV. And welcome back to the Lang Money Hour. I'm David Baer, here with Jim Lang and America's IRA expert, Ed Slott. Author of... Ed Slot's 2014 Retirement Decisions Guide, 125 Ways to Save and Stretch Your Wealth. And that actually just came out this year. And my favorite is Ed's classic book, The Retirement Savings Time Bomb and How to Defuse It, a five-step action plan protecting your IRAs. And we were talking about life insurance. And what, one of the things that we didn't mention is it enjoys creditor protection. But um, IRAs and Roth IRAs, and I'm mainly talking about when uh, the IRA owner and Roth IRA owner are alive, also affords excellent uh, protection from creditors. Uh, what is the story with IRAs and Roth IRAs after the IRA owner dies? And has there been any changes in this area uh, in the last couple of years? Well, first, there's different degrees of creditor protection. I think what you're referring to is more bankruptcy. 
uh, under bankruptcy is one kind of creditor protect when you declare bankruptcy what what can be taken but there's other judgments lawsuits a divorce things like that but IRAs creditor protection in general is under state law now for bankruptcy IRAs are federally creditor protected you know under all states but that's for the IRA owner once the beneficiary inherits they're no longer protected that was a supreme court ruling actually a nine nothing ruling and in this country where everything is so divided and uh, hyper partisan i mean when <laughs> all nine justices agree it tells me iras are what can bring the country together now, all nine justices agreed that IRAs, inherited IRAs we're talking about, no longer or do not, are not creditor protected under bankruptcy. And there's been a lot of cases with inherit, people who inherited, probably children, IRAs, declaring bankruptcy. So I'm always wondering, how is it that so many people who inherit money go bankrupt? Isn't inheriting mean, doesn't inheriting mean you got more? So, obviously, they squander the money, their problems, they make bad investments. You know, sometimes getting too much money at one time can be a problem. Sounds like the lottery winners. Yeah, right. Uh, same kind of thing. You know, you wonder about these things. Like this one case that went to the Supreme Court, I think they invested in a pizza place or something. Anyway, they lost their money, went bankrupt. And the court said, no, your inherited IRA is no longer or is not protected in bankruptcy. I keep saying no longer because it was a question. Some courts said yes, no. That's why it went up to the Supreme Court. So that's something that's important to know. If you have built up a large IRA and are worried your kids will blow it, you know, you might have to leave it to a trust, but that can get a little thorny. It won't be protected if the kids go bankrupt, and that's something everybody should know, and that's in all states because that's the Supreme Court. Well, speaking of changes in the law, um, there's now some limitations on rollovers, or I I prefer to use the word trustee-to-trustee transfers. Could you tell our audience what the old law is and what the new law is and why it's so important that they hear this? First, you have to understand, and again, this is kind of inside baseball or jargon that you and I talk when we talk about trustee-to-trustee transfers and 60-day rollovers. But to the public, it just means I have an IRA in a, with a certain bank or broker, and I want to move it to a different account or a different investment. How do I do that? And generally, it's done through a rollover, but there's two ways of moving the money. The preferred way is a direct transfer, or known as a trustee-to-trustee transfer, where it goes from, say, Schwab to Merrill Lynch or this advisor to that advisor. It goes direct from one bank to another without anybody touching the money in between. There's no problem with that, and that's the way the money should be moved. The problem comes in is when you take a check from one bank, you say, I want to take my IRA out and go to the bank across the street, let's say. If you have a check made out to you, that's what we're calling a rollover, a 60-day rollover. If you do that, and you take the money, you have 60 days to get it back into an IRA, but now you can only do that once a year, and a year is 365 days, not a calendar year, as a result of a new ruling that just came out, which was based on a court case 
where somebody tried doing more than one rollover. I think they were pushing the envelope. The guy's name was Bob Rao. It's funny, he was a tax attorney, and he lost his own case and ruined everything for everybody. It used to be you could do separate rollovers, 60-day rollovers. Remember, trustee-to-trustee transfers, never a problem and still won't be a problem, where you could do one per year, but from each IRA. That's no longer the case. In fact, starting January 1st, you can only do one of them from any IRA, including Roth IRAs, once per 365 days. So you better be careful. My advice is only do direct trustee-to-trustee transfers. And if they absolutely say the bank or the fund company insists on making out a check, have them make it out to the, the place where you're bringing your new IRA, the receiving institution. Make it out to the institution, not to you. That will qualify as a trustee-to-trustee transfer, and you won't have a problem. Isn't there also a problem with with, uh, federal withholding tax? Well, not really, because that's only on the plan level. If you take money out of a plan, there's mandatory... 20% 20% federal withholding, not not so the case on, on IRAs. I mean, you could request it, but I probably wouldn't. So you probably won't have a, an issue with an IRA unless you, you know, opt in for, say, 10% withholding or whatever you want. I wouldn't do that. I would do direct transfers. IRS wanted to cut down uh, on people like this attorney, Bob Rao, who was trying to game the system, you know, using, trying to get a lot more use out of his money during the 60 days. The 60-day rule was created as a convenience in case you wanted to change investments. But people who started using it, pushing the envelope or gaming the system, whatever you want to call it, to get use of their money, call it, some people even started calling it a 60-day IRA loan. There is no such thing because loans and IRAs are prohibited. So the uh, court basically threw the book at this, and the IRS has now followed with new rules that are effective January 1st. Now, this is very serious. You may think, oh, that'll never happen to me. You do a second rollover now. Let's say your life savings is in an IRA, and you have 500000 in an IRA, and you move it to another IRA, and then you forget, and you do it again the second time within a year even from a different IRA or even from a Roth IRA, that second distribution of uh, of those funds is taxable. Uh, well, if it's from a Roth IRA, maybe not, but uh, the second rollover is taxable, and there's no relief. IRS doesn't even have the authority. If you went to them and say, oh, I didn't realize I did two in one year, they don't even have the authority to, to provide relief. So, there goes your IRA. You no longer have a retirement account if you blow this once-per-year IRA rollover rules. Now, certain transfers don't count. If you move as one for the once-per-year, if you move from a 401k, for example, to an IRA, that's not IRA to IRA, so that doesn't count as one. Or vice versa, if you go from an IRA back to a plan, that's not IRA to IRA, so that doesn't count as one. If you move money from an IRA to a Roth IRA, that's a Roth conversion, so that doesn't count as one. Only IRA to IRA and Roth IRA to Roth IRA. Don't do these 60-day rollovers. Talk to somebody. Make, after January 1st, they're going to lower the boom, and my prediction is a lot of people are going to lose their retirement savings over this. And is it fa- fair to say that, that this is one of the 
let's say, um, traps for the unwary do-it-yourselfer. Yes. Yes. You know, this. what we're talking about, it's common to us because you and I follow these things, but this is basically under the radar. You didn't see a news story about this unless you look deeply into financial publications, which most consumers don't do. It was mostly in the professional publications. Even there, it didn't make big news. So somebody, yes, a lot of people, exactly as you said, do-it-yourselfers, that think they might not even know about the new rules. They do a second rollover, bang, they have no more retirement account, and they owe the tax on everything. It may have taken them 30, 40 years to accumulate this 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 uh, account, and now it's gone in a in a flash. Well, when you say gone, you don't mean it, the it principal disappears. It's just it becomes t- totally taxable. It becomes totally taxable, but it's no longer an IRA. Right. It's not. A, it's regular money, and they keep what's left. You know the crumbs that are left. When you add a big ca- account balance to your regular tax bill, probably gets uh, put you up in a higher bracket. You know you could lose, depending on federal and state taxes, more than half of it. And it's no longer whatever is left is no longer in an IRA. And it's not being tax sh- the tax shelter's lost. Maybe is a better way to say it. And Ed, you you just mentioned um, it wasn't in a lot of financial journals or IRA journals. Well, yeah. one, one that it is is actually your your newsletter, which I think is the best IRA newsletter on the market. I me too. I I, I, I <laughs> by the way, I am serious. Uh, you know, we have a consumer audience, but we also have a uh, a professional audience. And to me, I can't even imagine any IRA, actually any financial advisor, because IRAs are such an important part of being a financial advisor, not getting that newsletter, not having your books. And also, your your workshops are wonderful. And I think you have a two-day workshop coming up in February. Is that right? That's right. All right. Las Vegas. You can find that on my website, irahelp.com. Everything's up there. Yeah, and I'll, I will also take the liberty of mentioning that Ed not only gives an excellent technical workshop, but he also gives a lot of practical ideas on running your business and attracting clients, and as obviously in a in a uh, entertaining and informative way. Yeah, but it's not so much. It's not as funny when I tell people they just lost their retirement <laughs> savings. Take some of the humor out of it. <laughs> I would imagine that would take. Yeah, quite what, a what, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't happen on my watch, but, it could, you know, anything is possible. But I could see a lot of people whose advisors are unaware of of losing exactly what I said before, losing it because either they did it, uh, do it yourself, as, as Jim said, or their advisors weren't aware. And for your consumers that are listening, you talked about our workshop, I would ask your advisor if they have any training in this area. The problem is they all say they know it all, and that's pretty dangerous. If if they tell you they know it all, that's when you know they don't know it all. Well, I I think one way to do it is to see what books they have on their their bookshelf. And I'd I'd like to see, uh, you know, a couple Ed Slot books, maybe a Natalie Schott book, a Bob Tibor book. I'll throw in, take the liberty of saying my book, but I'd, I'd want to see those books on, on... Well, I'd go even further. I have, you know, because what does a consumer know to ask? You know, they go into an advisor's office, do you know anything? Oh, of course, look at the books. So I go one step further. Just like you say, look at the books. I add my own personal BS detector. So 
So the advisor might say, oh, I know it all. Look at all the books I have. I would say as a consumer, all right, put one down and open it. If that book cracks when it opens, that's the first time that book's been open. I'd run out of that office. That, 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 that's a very good way of doing it. I know uh, my edition of yours and, in, in particular, uh, Natalie Schott's book, which is about as much fun as, as eating sawdust to go through, but it's just a great source of technical information. Um, so I, I, think, I think that I actually like that, Op- open the book. Yeah. So listen for the crack. That's your sign. All right. So one of the things that you have been an advocate of um, for many years, I, I guess actually going back to 1998, is uh, Roth IRA conversions. Right. And you had just you had just mentioned that if that new law passes, they might not be as attractive um, for older it, people. Okay, for older people. So why don't you maybe take the uh, our audience through? who might be a good candidate for Roth IRAs or Roth IRA conversions, and who might not be? Easy. Younger people. The younger, the better. Younger people have the most to gain from Roth conversions for several reasons. Number one, they can start early. They have the value of time. I always say the greatest money-making asset any individual can possess is time. And young people have more of it than anyone else. And they should be capitalizing on it. So if you can start out, even with a small amount, growing tax-free, that means all of those earnings grow for you, as opposed to a tax-deferred IRA, a 401k. All the earnings are growing for you and Uncle Sam. In other words, you have a partner on every dollar you earn for the rest of your life. The, the, The key planning move is to get rid of your partner so you can keep it all. Who wants to share? You know, we were taught when we were kids that sharing is good, but enough is enough. Hmm. Start as soon as you start working, the earlier you can, the younger you are, start doing Roth IRAs if your income permits and Roth 401ks at work. This way you're starting out great. We didn't have, uh, I'm 60 now, so I didn't have that opportunity until 1998. And still I didn't even have that opportunity because of income. And 2010 was the first year I was able to convert because they repealed the income eligibility limitations. Now everybody can convert, and it does mean paying taxes now. But for younger people, they have less. They're probably in a lower bracket. It's nothing. All they're giving up is a tax deduction. And if you get the tax deduction, it sounds good up front, but then you pay for it for the rest of your life. I'd rather, as your book says, pay it once, You won't even feel it, and it's tax-free forever. Because in retirement, to me, there's nothing better than a 0% tax rate. You can't beat a 0% tax rate, and that's why I converted everything I could. January 4th, the first business day of 2010, when the floodgates opened and the law was repealed. All right, and that that is saying something, because with your busy speaking schedule and writing schedule and your newsletters... um, I would assume that that was not at a low tax rate. So you, no, t- so you, I, so you took you know a serious what? hit. I, it, was, it was the deal of the century. I think I was on your show. I encouraged everybody to do it because if you did it, so I did it in January 2010. I didn't owe any tax at all for 2010. So it's like the government gave me an interest-free loan to build a tax-free savings. 
and I only paid half the tax in 2011 and half in 2012. That was the deal. The government gave you an incentive to convert because they needed the money. So they said no tax in 2010, and you could, you'll pay half in 11 and half in 12. So I didn't even finish paying it off till the end of 2012. And, and the, the other thing I, I, I do understand about tax, Roth IRAs and Roth IRA conversions for younger people, but let's say that there aren't a lot of younger people listening. They're watching their – well, they don't even watch TV anymore. Well, encourage They're, your kids and grandkids. All right. What, what about the idea of setting up a Roth IRA maybe for your kids and grandkids? So I, I did that for my kids, I, for both my kids, and I did it when they got their first job. The earlier, the better. Now, there's a couple of schools of thought. I'll tell you what I did when my older daughter was 15. She's 25 now and just finally got out of college and got a job. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, today you could stay in college finally. forever. Masters this, masters that, anything to stay in school or something, you know. Um, anyway, uh, her first job working at the local library one summer when she was about 15, and she made $350. That was 10 years ago. And uh, I opened up a Roth IRA for $350. Now, some people might say, well, shouldn't she put her money in? Yes, but she had no money because she spent it. She was one of those kids who got her first check and asked me, who's this guy FICA and why is he taking my money? <laughs> you know how kids do when they first see, uh, they get the concept of what a net check is as opposed to a gross check. And also, uh, I put the money in for a couple of reasons. I wanted to set up the account for her. I know the power of compounding over time. And it's okay that she spent her money. Matter of fact, she even asked me when I was trying to explain it to her. She said, wait a minute, so it works like this. I make $350 a summer, and I spend it. Then you replace it and put it in a Roth IRA that grows tax-free for me forever? Is that the way it works? What a country. What a parent. Said, no, that's the way it works under this roof because i want you to see the benefits of saving for retirement as early as possible and the other reason i did it is because by creating the vehicle now that she's finally on her own she's more likely to continue the process as she sees the growth she has a much larger roth ira than probably most of her friends just from whatever she made i put in there well, I, th I think that's a great thing that you did that, and I would encourage our listeners to do that also. Um, I am a big fan, just like you said, of tax-free, right. and the tax-free vehicles we have are Roth IRAs, Roth 401Ks, Roth 403Bs, uh, Section 529 plans, which is a different type of tax-free, right. and then we were talking about life insurance before. Well, this sounds like it's a good time to take another break. This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring expert advice from CPA, attorney, and retirement and estate planning expert, Jim Lang. More coming up right here on KQV. And welcome back to this edition of the Lang Money Hour with Jim Lang and America's IRA expert, Ed Slott, who is also the author of Ed Slott's 2014 Retirement Decisions Guide, 125 Ways to Save and Stretch Your Wealth, which I do recommend. Uh, that just came out this year. My favorite book of Ed's, though, um, which I really think that just about every, really every IRA owner should have and certainly every advisor should have, his classic book is 
the retirement savings time bomb and how to defuse it, a five-step action plan protecting your IRAs. Um, And also, Ed, we talked a little bit about your newsletter, which I think is so good. And in your November newsletter, you really provided a service. And I sometimes have a bad habit of lumping IRAs and 401ks and 403bs together and just kind of pretending that they're, since that they have generally the same tax treatment, that they're the same. But, but you actually pointed out, no, they're not the same. Could you tell our listeners some of the differences between an IRA and an employer-sponsored retirement plan? Yeah, there's a bunch of differences. First, there's different contribution limits. IRAs are limited to 5,500 or th- or. 6500 if you're 50 or over. With 401ks, you can contribute 17500 and another 5500 if you're 50 or over for a total of 23000 And if your company allows, say, after-tax contributions, you can go up to 52000 So that's a big uh, difference. You can put a lot more into company plans. Also, uh, I hate to say this. You can borrow from a company plan, but don't do it. I'm just <laughs> I, I know you hate to that's say the it. Difference. You can borrow from a company plan. You can't borrow from an IRA. Matter of fact, I just talked about that. Uh, people say there's something called a 60-day IRA loan. Don't believe it. You, that's a prohibited transaction. Another, uh, And if you have one of those, you'll actually lose your IRA. The whole thing's considered distributed. Uh, but one of the big advantages of IRAs and Roth IRAs as opposed to company plans and the big difference is the company plan is run by the company for employees. You don't run it. <laughs> With your IRA, you run it. You have total access. Anytime you want to get to your money in an IRA, you can get to your money, even before 59 and a half. Now, there could be a penalty, but you always have access. That's not the case with a company plan. Also, company plans have creditor protection. We talked about that earlier. ERISA plans have universal, you know, federal creditor protection for everything in there. IRA's creditor protection may not be, uh, depending on your state. It's determined at state level by state law. Also, with uh, company plans, if it's an ERISA plan, that's a tax law we talked about earlier, you must name your spouse as your beneficiary. With an IRA, you can name anybody you want as your beneficiary. And The company plan has one unusual provision. If you're still working there, you can delay your required minimum distributions as long as it's not your own company. You don't own the company. With an IRA after 70 and a half, you have to start required distributions. Also, speaking of required distributions, with IRAs, they're a lot easier. You can aggregate your IRAs. In other words, if you have five IRAs, you can take the required amount for all of them out of any one or any combination. If you have a company plan, like a 401k, you have to take it from that plan. If you have three different plans, you have to take it from each. So it's a little more complicated with a company plan. So those are some of the differences. Well, I I see that we still have some time, and I'm I'm really happy because I wanted to um, talk about the five steps that you can use to Um, or let's call it the five-step action plan that you can diffuse the retirement savings time bomb. And in order, you have listed time it smartly, insure it, stretch it, Roth it, 
and avoid the death tax trap. Uh, do you want to take maybe any one of those or any two of those? And um... They're all good. Well, the timing <laughs> is important because of the tax rules. These IRAs are strangled, to you, for lack of a better term. They're, they're strangled by all these complex tax rules, and you have to navigate this web of rules or pay penalties. And the reason the rules are so tough is because the IRS wants to make sure they get their money. Remember, this money hasn't been taxed yet, except for a Roth IRA. So they want to make sure you're taking it when you're supposed to, you're not taking it when you're not supposed to. There's so many rules. If I were going up to Congress, I would create, uh, I would get rid of a lot of these rules. Very complicated for people. Also, in shirt, we talked about that. I think IRAs today are a bad asset. I made my living on IRAs, but it's a tax-infested, not invested, infested asset. It's loaded with taxes. Now is the prime opportunity where tax rates are relatively low. They're as low as they've ever been in about 50 years or so. I would get that money out and turn it into and leverage it into a much better asset like life insurance or even go to a Roth IRA. So that's why I say insure it, and that's why I say Roth it. I like tax-free. Anything you can do now to turn taxable money into tax-free is a good move because the minute you do that, all the earnings come back to you. And you don't want to share your earnings with Uncle Sam if you don't have to. You can pay for the privilege. You know, I call it there's a mortgage on your IRA. If you pay it off early, you own it, and everything it earns, you keep. And that's the best way to go into retirement. You know, I started this program talking about Bill Mazeroski and Yogi Berra with his predictions, and I was thinking about it. Uh, here's another bit of trivia. I remember I was always into the Bill Mazeroski home run, even though I grew up in New York as a Yankee fan on the losing end. But I was six years old then, and that was the first Collier's yearbook I ever got. My parents had the Collier's Encyclopedia. For your young listeners, it's called an encyclopedia. <laughs> it was a book. It was a whole <laughs> series of books. You look things up in. Now there's a there's Google. <laughs> But but anyway, that was I remember that picture of him rounding the bases. So I always took interest in uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates and Bill Mazeroski. So I remember it was just about a year ago, and during this program I looked it up because I couldn't remember the date. It was just about a year ago in November last year when he sold his uniform. Do you mm. remember this? Yes. He sold his uniform, looking up now for a million seven sold his World Series uniform, worn during, I'm reading from uh, this Pittsburgh Pirate thing, his Game 7 walk-off home run fetched a total of $1.7 million. Can you imagine? <laughs> the value <laughs> of compounding. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's better than a Roth IRA. But how many people can hit a seventh-game walk-off World Series home run? <laughs> not, so not, if you can't do that, use the strategies we talked about. All right. And again, that's time it smartly, insure it, stretch it, Roth it, and avoid the death tax trap. That's it. So, so Ed, um, you know, you're, you're always full of information. I tried to pick some of the areas that, that you might want to talk about. Um, is there something that I didn't talk about that you think that our listeners could benefit from? Yeah, this is for, for people that have larger IRAs. I talked about it before, but I'm seeing more problems with naming trusts as IRA beneficiary. Not that there's anything wrong with it. There are reasons to name a trust. 
Uh, you have a minor as a beneficiary. You have a $2 million IRA. You don't want them blowing it. You have a disabled beneficiary, an unsophisticated beneficiary, incompetent beneficiary. Maybe you want creditor protection or a divorce or a second marriage or to help the, the spouse or a child manage the money. There are all kinds of good reasons to name a trust. Mostly it's about post-death control. And an IRA doesn't fit nicely into a trust, as you know. Uh, you have to follow a whole slew of rules that are much more complicated than the rules I just talked about for required distributions. So I'm seeing more cases, and I can say that when I see the results of, and you may have seen it too, this whole slew of private letter rulings that's been coming out where people named a trust or by accident they named the estate and they want to get it out of the trust, it cost them a fortune. You know, you really have to look at this. Number one, see if you need a trust, and you might for those reasons. But if you do need a trust, you're going to need an attorney that really knows this stuff. And I know Jim Lang really knows this stuff. So you're in the Pittsburgh area, and you need an IRA trust. The average, you know, estate planning attorney is not going to do it. You need a specialist. One of the best ways to describe this is a medical analogy. You know, you have a general practitioner doctor. He's a nice guy, but he's not a cardiologist. He's not a neurologist. He's not a specialist. Sometimes you need a specialist. This is one of those times. So if this is you, I'm telling you, you have a large IRA, you want to protect it. We're seeing a lot of these trusts backfire because for two reasons. One, the attorney didn't have the specialized knowledge to set it up right. And even if they did, we're seeing problems on the back end where it's not properly implemented. For example, somebody dies and they, they empty the IRA into the trust, and the, that's the end of it. Here they spent ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in all the planning, and it's gone in five seconds after death, and sometimes at the highest trust tax rates. So if that's you, you may want to talk to Jim Lang over there in Pittsburgh and make sure you get this done right. I would really warn you to have a check because most of these things that I see go bad, and it's too late after the fact. That's when people come to me. Well, thank you for the for the generous words. You know what I'm talking about. I, I, I sure do, um, because I have seen it. Bruce Steiner talks about it, and um, there's some good people who are doing some good work, but there's a lot of people doing some not-so-good work. So, Ed, you mentioned you're 60 years old. To me, you've always been the uh, most popular Roth IRA expert, writing multiple books, uh, having a fantastically busy travel schedule, training both consumers and uh, practitioners. And I know that you are, again, having one on, I think, February 20th in Las Vegas. Uh, what, what, are your plan what are your plans for the future? Well, we're going back to public television. You know, they tell me our show is in the top ten public television as far as fundraising of all time. That shows you how many people need this information. It also shows you how many are not getting it from their financial advisors. Most of the people who are watching, for example, in Pittsburgh, WQED, and all over the country, and that's one of our favorite stations, they always put me in the hotel right by the Forbes Field thing, so I get to <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that area is called. It's but, called uh, o Oakland. Oakland yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's a nice area. But... 
it shows you how many people have these issues. Most of the people that watch public television are somewhat sophisticated, have good savings. They have a financial advisor. When I see them at seminars I do around the country that are sponsored by public television, they always tell me the same thing. I always ask them, why are you here? They pay money to be there, not to me, to to donate to public television. I said, if you already have a financial advisor, why are you here? And the answer is the same everywhere around the country. Because the stuff you were talking about, I wasn't getting this kind of information from my current financial advisor. In other words, they're on the other end of the pendulum. They're taking the money out, looking for that exit strategy. The average financial advisor may help them make money, but as you know, it's what you keep that counts. At some point, you're going to take that money out. You better have a plan. Otherwise, you get what I call the government plan. That's not a good plan. Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks, Jim, for having me on. I always love being on your show because... You're one of the few hosts that actually know what I'm talking about. 